Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains our Easter sermon by Pastor Randy. So like Henry VIII said to the six wise, I will not keep you long. So we will not be a long time this morning. (laughs) W.E. Sangster, he was a minister in England during the 50s. He developed Lou Gehrig's disease. So his muscles began to deteriorate. He lost use of his legs. Then he lost his voice. And on Easter morning... Two weeks before he died, because soon after he couldn't swallow or anything else. So on Easter morning, two weeks before he died, he still had a little bit of use of his hands. And so he managed to to scroll out a note to his daughter. And it said this, how terrible on Easter to wake up and not have a voice in which to shout, he is risen. But how much more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. There are a lot of people today around the world that they don't get excited about the resurrection. They think it's a hoax. They just think it's something that made up. They look at Christianity and, and just think, well, it's just a bunch of fables or, or something that, that we people use as a crutch. Let me ask you this. How many of you ever heard of a restaurant called The Shed at Dulwich? Probably nobody has because it's in London. Okay, well, let me tell you a story about the shed at Dulwich. It was, I don't know, it's been about a year or so ago, two, maybe close to two years. It was the most popular restaurant in all of London. Number one on TripAdvisor. Almost impossible to get a reservation to. People would call. They would receive hundreds of calls on the weekend asking for a reservation. Some people begging for a reservation in order to get in to celebrate a birthday or anniversary or something like that. But despite all the calls, it's always the same. We're booked solid for six months. But the reason that they were always booked solid for six months, the restaurant didn't exist. It was just a hoax. A guy by the name of Bob Butler he was a freelance writer. He got a couple of friends of his. He, well, what he did, he got a burner phone. He, dev- he bought a web domain and established a website for the shed at Dulwich. Now, the shed at Dulwich was a garden shed behind the house. That's all it was. Just a, a little shed behind the house. And, but he got a couple of friends of his to put a, uh, you know, using the certain words to key certain algorithms. He kind of figured out how to do that. And it became so popular. He even had people calling wanting to work there. But it was by appointment only that you could get a, a reservation here. So people were always calling to make reservations, but nobody could get in. But he put on his website all his delicious dishes that he had at his restaurant. Here's one of them right here. Is that up? Okay, good. Uh, things that you wouldn't want to eat. Some, sometimes he had bleach tablets, and, and one time he had, to, for, for an entree dish, the sole of his foot. He took a picture of that and put it up there. Does anybody know what this is? What does it look like? Well, it's not what it looks like, whatever you think it looks like. Have you ever heard, well, we call them hockey pucks, but, but urinal cakes, you know, that's what that is with just some orange dye mixed in. 
So for over six months, this is going on. Finally, he decides to end the hoax. And the way he does it, he decides he's going to end it. He's going to have three couples come. He's going to actually accept reservations. Well, actually, two of them, two of the couples were sort of actors he had hired there. One happened to be uh, online. They got, uh, they booked a reservation online, was for American tourists. They had been in Paris. Now they were in England. They want to go to a nice restaurant. This is number one on TripAdvisor. So they chose here. And so they show up to his shed in his backyard, tiny little tables, very small, uncomfortable chairs. They get served microwave dishes. They give us the microwave, put some, but just brings it out there and serves it to them. They rave about how good this is. The actors are, of course, but so do the American tourists. And the American tourists, they want to come back again to make reservations and come back later on. Look, people fall for hoaxes all the time. And believe it or not, this may feel strange to you, but there are, there are fake religions in the world. But Christianity is not one of those. There are a lot of religions in the world that are just based on hoaxes. You know, angels came down and said this and did this and, and all these other things. They're, they're all around us. But see, what makes Christianity is different is because the foundation of Christianity is not Christians. It's not the behavior of Christians. The foundation of Christianity is not keeping a certain set of laws. The foundation of Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a teaching. The foundation of Christianity is an event that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. Now look, you take away the resurrection out of Christianity, you don't just remove a couple chapters of the story. You destroy the whole story. Completely gone. The resurrection proves that Jesus was who he said he was. Because you see, Jesus didn't claim to be a great teacher. The claims he made were far more outrageous than that. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Savior of the world. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed that he and God were one. He claimed that, that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He, he said that I am God on earth to show you what God in heaven is like. And then he said this, I'll prove it to you. Kill me and I'll rise again in three days. And he did. He did. So it's no surprise, just a couple of weeks after the resurrection, Peter gets up in front of a big crowd of people, and here's what he said. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning, because they were the, the Holy Spirit has come down. This is the right of Pentecost. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And then he goes and talks about what Joel had said. He, he quotes Joel. So here's Peter a couple weeks after the resurrection. He's addressing the crowd. And he's going to be talking to them about Jesus. But I want you to notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't try and defend the resurrection. What he says next is he doesn't spend 30 minutes on trying to say, this is why I know Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Because it just happened a couple of weeks ago. Not in some city in a foreign country, but just a couple of hundred yards away from where he's speaking right now. Not only that, there are people in that crowd who he's speaking to, 
some of which may have just saw Jesus arise, his resurrected body themselves with their own eyes, or they had friends and relatives that saw Jesus alive. So Peter, he's not there to, to, to say, yes, I'll prove to you why he resurrected. That's an established fact as far as everybody's concerned. What he's going to do is just simply tell them why he had to die, why he had to die and be buried and why he rose again. He's just going to explain why it happened. Not that it happened. That it happened was already established fact. So this is what he says. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was the man attested you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. He says, y'all saw the miracles? And they go, yeah, we saw them. That's why we were hanging around. That's why he always had crowds of people around him to see the miracles. How many times in the Gospels do you read where Jesus goes into a certain area of town and he heals them all over and over again? He, every one of them, every sick person they'd bring, he would heal them. They saw the miracles that he'd be doing in the area. They saw the miracles that he'd, he'd done in Jerusalem. They saw this. They'd say, yes, we know about these miracles. Then it says this, though he was delivered up According to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Focus in on those words, God's determined plan and foreknowledge. By God's predetermined plan. God's predetermined plan. Let that sink in. Oh, so you mean things just didn't go crazy one Friday? People just didn't get into a mob mentality and go wild. No. God planned this from the beginning. God had it all planned out. Everything that went on that Friday was according to his predetermined plan. It was a setup. God just set everything up to happen exactly how he wanted. Have any of you ever been set up? Maybe when you were single, if you're single now, you were single. Friends call you up. Hey, we're going to have a barbecue over at our house. It'll just be us. And you get there. It's not just us. If you're a guy, it's us and Jill. Or if you're a girl, it's us and Jack. You realize, I've been set up. Anybody ever been set up like that before? Any business people ever been set up? You go into this meeting and you realize all of a sudden that they had four meetings prior to this meeting and you didn't know about it? And what they were doing was trying to maneuver things just right to get around your opposition so things would go the way they wanted. You realize, you've been set up. Setups happen when without our awareness, we've been set up in order to determine a, a certain future, a certain destiny. Well, guess what? Peter's saying, look. This was all set up. God set, every, set all this up. It's the best possible setup ever because this setup resulted in God's grace being poured down upon all mankind. This setup required God forgiving your sins even before you were born. This setup was done by God in order to give you your redemption even before you were rejected. Everything that was necessary for your sins to be forgiven, everything that was necessary for you to have a relationship with God, everything that was necessary for you to, to have a home in heaven after you die here, all that was done because of the cross and the resurrection. 
It was a setup. That's the reason to get excited. So that's why we celebrate the, re- the resurrection today. That's why Jesus is the focal point of history. He divided history between B.C. and A.D. Everything's revolved around this setup. So Peter's saying, look, a lot of people, they've been running around saying, we saw him, we saw him. He, he rose from the dead. We've seen him. And, and all Peter's doing is say, let me tell you why. Let me tell you what's the results of all this. Let me tell you what was going on. God set this up from the beginning, even before you were born. God had this all planned out. What resulted in this? Here's what we read in Galatians. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. That we might be free. This setup resulted in our freedom. Freedom from the four of the biggest problems we could ever face. Freedom from the guilt over things we've done in our past. Freedom over worrying about our future after we die. Freedom from being able to not make sense of all, this, of all the pain and suffering that's going on in this world and in our lives. Freedom from bondage. Let's go over these one at a time. First of all, the resurrection sets us free from guilt over our past. Here's a verse, Colossians 2.14. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Focusing on that word erased. Been erased. Did any of you when you were kids get an Etch-a-Sketch? I still remember mine. Little knobs, and I wasn't very good at it. That's why I still can't draw stuff today. I can't even do it with an Etch-a-Sketch. But you draw stuff, do it however you want to. I was good at just making stairs. You know, up, down, up, down. That was my favorite design. But then you turn it over, and you shake it. You turn it back over, and what? It's a clean slate. This is the Etch-a-Sketch versus the Bible. That now all your guilt... All your shame, it's gone. It's all been put on the cross. Everything that you did that was wrong, you knew it was wrong when you did it, and you did it anyway, it's on the cross. Everything you did that was wrong and you didn't know it, you did it unknowingly, it's on the cross. Everything that you did that was wrong in your past, it's on the cross. Everything that you'll do in your future that's wrong, it's on the cross. All your guilt and all your shame is on the cross. See, so that's why we can get excited. Because we realize that because of the resurrection, everything that we've done, all our sin that we've done or ever will do, whether we knew about it or did it unknowingly, it's on the cross. That's why we can come this morning and we can shout, He is risen. One or two things is going on here. Either I'm the only one excited about my sins being forgiven, and, and I'm a worse sinner than all of you guys, or you're just a little bit slow this morning. I'm not sure what, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you another run at this, okay? Just know that the sermon would work so much better if you guys cooperate. <laughs> so much better. It'll just make everything flow and look good. 
Okay. So this morning, we can be excited. I'm excited because all my sins are forgiven. Because Jesus rose again. That's why I can come here and you can come here and I can shout, He is risen! He is risen and you can be excited too. See how much better that works? All right. So, the second thing. The resurrection set us free from worry over our future when we die. Peter. Good, you're getting excited even before I start. I like that. Peter. He believed... Then he unbelieved, then he swore he'd never believed, and then he rebelieved. Strange guy. But this is what he writes in 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, when he talks about a hope here, he's not talking about I hope so. Hope is not a verb here, it's a noun. Peter has his hope now. And if you, if you read Scripture, after resurrection, Peter never talks about hope without calling it a living hope. But he has this hope. And the basis, the foundation of his hope is not Jesus walking on the water. It's not the peril of the prodigal son. The foundation of his hope is because he saw his friend Jesus alive, come back from the dead. He saw him resurrected. That's the foundation of his hope. But we continue, and into an inheritance. Who gets an inheritance? Your kids, right? Children. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So where's your inheritance at? In heaven. Now, here's the thing you realize, need to understand. Peter probably grew up believing nothing at all about heaven. Because the Old Testament says very, very little about heaven. That's why in Jesus' day, half the religious leaders believed in heaven, half of them didn't. They just thought, you know, you exist for God's pleasure and then you die. So when Peter's talking about heaven, it's not because he grew up learning anything about heaven. The only reason Peter talks a lot about heaven which he, which he does in, in, in his epistle, the reason he talks so much about it is because Jesus talks so much about it. And hey, when somebody can predict their death, burial, and resurrection and pull it off, you go what they say. So Peter now, he talks about heaven, knowing that, it, that, that he has a place after he, after he dies. And he says, this is for all of us. We, we have an inheritance. This is not the end. So we can go through this life knowing when we die, this is not the end. We have an inheritance in heaven because he is risen. risen Okay, much better. You're getting excited now. See, and these things get a little bit harder as we go on. Because... It's one thing to believe all your sins are forgiven and to be excited about that, to believe that you're going to go to heaven when you die, that he's prepared a home for his children, for those who, who, who are following him. We have that inheritance that will not fade away. That's kept in heaven for us. That's pretty, that we can do that. But now it gets a little bit harder because of number three. 
Because of the resurrection, we're set free from getting bent out of shape due to the pain and suffering in this world. A lot of worries go on in the world. We're full of worriers. We get bent out of shape about everything. About paying bills. We get bent out of shape about COVID. We get bent out of shape about earthquakes. We get bent out of shape and, and, and just upset about you know, everything that, that comes our way that, be, that seems somewhat difficult. You're reading the paper, you know, about something that you eat. Now, all of a sudden, it's bad for you. You know, now what do you do? Well, the water's bad for you. The air's bad. Everything's bad for you. Go to the doctor. He says, you don't need to eat so much red meat. So I said, okay, so I don't put ketchup on my hamburgers anymore. Okay, so don't eat so much red meat. But everything's bad. And everything, we get upset at everything, right? It's always going on. But here's what Peter says. He says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven, faith, the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, through, which uh, though perishable is refined by fire, may result in a praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what, what, what's Peter saying? Peter is saying, you don't doubt the existence of God just because you go through pain and suffering in your life. We don't believe in a God who doesn't let bad things happen to good people. And you need to hear this because I know and you know people who have left the faith because of pain and suffering in their own life or pain and suffering they've seen in other people's lives. But you need to understand that the people who wrote our New Testament, and Peter here, not only did they personally experience a lot of pain and suffering, they saw a lot of pain and suffering, things we could not imagine, and yet they believed. Why? Because they saw the worst thing possible happen to the best possible person when they saw Jesus crucified. The worst thing that could possibly happen to somebody getting crucified happened to the best person they knew possible, happened to Jesus. And yet God was able to take that, the worst thing possible, and turn it around into something fantastic for us, our salvation, our redemption. And so now what Peter is saying, what we just read, is that when we experience pain and suffering, Whenever we face those things that we have no explanation for, the earthquakes, the, 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 the sicknesses, the disease, the, the cancer, the death, all those things, the, the little things, the big things, all those things we don't have any explanation for, we don't get all bent out of shape over that. Because we know that God is sovereign enough, he's powerful enough, and he loves us enough to take even the worst thing possible and he can twist that, can turn that because of his power into something for our own good. Now, see, it gets a little bit tougher. But when you realize that, when that hits you in the heart, to even rejoice in whatever various trials we take because God can take it and use it for our good, when, when, that, when that begins to sink inside of you, you can even go through some terrible pain and suffering in this world, and your soul is still able to go, I rejoice, I rejoice, because my Savior, He is risen. Okay, now it didn't sound like a lot of heart behind that, but I'll take it, I'll take it. 
Because that gets a little more difficult. But it gets harder still. Number four. We rejoice in the resurrection because it overcomes some of our biggest problems. And here's the big one. Because the resurrection, we are set free from the bondage of sin. Why is it that Christians can say what they say about the resurrection but behave the way they behave? Christopher Miller, a couple years ago, he was caught after he robbed the Stride Right shoe store in Tom's River, New Jersey. The reason that made headlines is because he'd robbed that same store 16 years earlier. He had gone in, robbed store 16 years earlier, was caught, put in prison for 15 years, let out of prison in Atlanta City. As soon as he let, let out of prison, he catches a bus to Tom's River, New Jersey, goes into that same stride right shoe store that he had robbed 15, 16 years earlier and robs it again. Goes in there, the employees aren't cooperating, but he grabs some cash, grabs a couple of cell phones from the employees, runs out the store, throws the cash in the sewer, throws the cell phones in the trash, and he's caught a couple of blocks away. The sheriff said, he just doesn't know how to live like a free man. All he knows is life behind bars. And then that becomes like so many Christians, right? They become Christians. But, but all this junk they've had in their life, maybe all their life or in their past, that they take it with them, and they never can seem to get free from it. It's always there. The addictions, the, the bondages, there's always there. There's a lot of Christians who, who don't understand what the resurrection does, what the power of the resurrection is able to do in their lives. Can you tell me that you can believe that Jesus can forgive us of all our junk in the past, but he can't, he can't deliver us from all our bondages in the past? See, some people, they just get stuck. They live, I like to put it, they live in Romans 7 where Paul says over and over again, you know, I, the things I want to do, I just don't do. I try as hard to do things I want, but I just don't seem to do them. And they stay stuck there. They never go to Romans 8 where it says the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life. They never make it there. Here's what Galatians 5, 16 says. I say then walk by the spirit and you will, not, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. See, the question is not do you believe in the resurrection. The question is what difference has it made in your life? Because if you've experienced the power of the resurrection, it's going to make a difference. Things will look differently. Things will change. Let me give you an example. Suppose this morning when we were starting our service that I wasn't here. So it's time to start the service. Jeremy's looking around. Randy's supposed to start the service. He's not here. He's probably hung up. Something's going on. So he goes ahead and does it. No problem. Real easy for him. Then we go on with the children's stuff, and then we have a song, and I'm still not here. Jeremy looks around. Where's Randy? Turns to Lisa and goes, where's Randy? She goes. And so we get down to the last song. 
Jeremy's starting to panic now. Because he's thinking, oh, Easter sermon. I've got to do an Easter sermon in two minutes. In- 30 seconds at the end of it. What am I going to do? How can I, how can I make my Sunday school lesson apply this grade? You know, what can I do? What can I do? And then he would freak out. I, probably, I know it. He would freak out. He would be gone. It would be great just to do that one day just to watch him start sweating at the end of the sermon. But anyway, he gets done. And as soon as it lasts on, I come in. And I go, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late. I was coming to church this morning. And as I go over to, to the road, I hear it stumped up on the roof of the vehicle, and I look in the rearview mirror, and it's my Bible. I put my Bible on top of the car, and I forgot it. Now it's there on the road, right in the middle of Tudor Road. So I pull into the little bus, bus pull-out thing, and I go back to Tudor Road. I grab my Bible, and as soon as I pick it up, this semi mm, nails me. Sends me flying straight down the road, but it can't stop. Roads are slick. They're wet. It keeps going, and it just after it throws me about 20 feet. It runs over me and drags me a few feet even. And I get up and I go, oh, I think I'm alive. Unbelievable. And so I shake it off. And I walk in here just looking just like this, looking just like I do right now. And I tell you how I've just been hit by a semi. What would you think? You think, no, if you got hit by a semi, there'd be some evidence. You know, your clothes would be torn up. You'd be bloody somewhere. You'd have cuts and bruises all over you. You can't just be hit by a semi and just come and be looking just like I do now. There'd be some evidence. Listen, the gospel is more powerful than any semi. If you've experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you've experienced the resurrection in your life, there will be some evidence. I'm not saying you'll be perfect. But if, if you're following after Christ, if you're a Christ follower and these bondages, this, this addiction still have you down, there's something wrong somewhere. Because Paul says, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There will be some evidence. The question is not today, do you believe the resurrection? The question is, what difference does it make in your life? Do you understand there's a difference between believing the resurrection and experiencing the power of it? Do you get that? There's a difference between an idle belief in a past event or, or something going on in the future and versus believing in a present reality in your life today. Something that affects your life today. It's a big difference between those two. Let's go through these verses. This is going to help us out here. When Jesus crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. Remember what I told you? Everybody's seen Jesus do miracles. They knew that. But here's this religious leader. Now, you understand, religious leaders, they weren't that excited about Jesus because he was a threat to their system, to everything that they were doing. He was a threat to it all as far as they were concerned. So why would a religious leader that saw Jesus as a threat come and throw himself down and beg Jesus, please just come and put your hands on my daughter and heal her? Why would he do that? Because being a father trusts being a religious leader. If your daughter's dying, you'll do anything you can, won't you? 
So that's what he does. He comes and, and begs Jesus, please, please do something, do something. Now, in that day, you know, there were no hospitals, but they saw a lot of death. And when he says, my daughter is dying, she's dying. He's desperate. So next, so Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. You need to understand the sense of urgency that Jairus has. My daughter's dying, and you have to come right now. Right? You've got to come and do this right now. Please, Jesus, do this right now. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care. I just want my daughter to live. So now Jesus is on his way with Jairus to his house. And then this. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? So he's on his way to Jairus' house. Then all of a sudden this. And, and, and most of you grew up in church. You know the backstory. This woman who had been sick for 12 years because she had been bleeding. She had been to all these doctors and they couldn't do anything about it. Anybody been there? Been to doctors? They just... You know, just can't do anything about it, can't fix anything. Well, that's where she's at. And so she believes that if I can just touch Jesus, even just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she does. She managed to make her way through the crowd, touches the, the, the bottom part of Jesus' robe, and, and, and is healed. And Jesus turns around and has this little devotion with her. Now, if you're Jairus, what's going on through your mind? If I was Jairus, I know what would be going through my mind. Jesus, we don't have time for this. My daughter's dying. This lady's been sick for 12 years. She can be sick for 12 years in a day. She'll be here when we get back. Let's go. My daughter's dying. And if we don't hurry up and get there, it will be too late. And guess what? Jairus was right. It was too late. That delay now is too late. Here's what we read. While he was still speaking, he's still speaking to, this, to the woman there. People came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother to teach her anymore? Hmm. Why bother to teach her anymore? You ever been there? Why bother? That's where so many people live at. I've been married for 40 years, been unhappy for 38 of those years we've been married. I've tried everything to make our marriage better, and now it's gone on for so long. Why bother? My body's been out of shape for, for the past 30 years. I've tried every diet. I've tried, every, tried everything else. Nothing helps. This is just the way I'm going to be. Why bother? I've had this addiction in my life. I've quit a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. I can't overcome it. This is just the way life is going to be. Why bother? This relationship with my family members broken and, or friend of mine or whatever it is, I've tried everything else for years to restore that relationship. Nothing's going to work, so why bother? I understand that. Believe it or not, sometimes I go, Man, I come in and I preach and I give these people the truth and they still do stupid things. Why bother? Sometimes I go, you know, I spend all this time preparing a sermon. They're going to forget it before they get out to their car. Why bother? I understand why bother. We, we kind of we can get into that mode. 
It's easy to get into that mode. Why bother? We act as if Jesus can't have an impact on our lives. So these people come to Jairus and say, why bother? And here's what Jesus says next. When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. So Jesus says, hey, don't listen to them, listen to me. You have a choice. When you're up against whatever you may be up against, maybe it's sin that, that you have to understand has been forgiven. Maybe you're worried about what's going to happen to you in the future. Maybe you got going through pain and suffering and you can't make sense of it all. Or maybe you have some bondage in your life. Whenever you come against, you have a choice. You can put your circumstances between you and Jesus, or you can put Jesus between you and your circumstances. One or the other. You have a choice. What are you going to do? It's not like Jesus didn't know that what these guys told Jairus was true. Jesus is just saying that's not the final word. See, what we call irreversible, Jesus calls redeemable. What we come and, and look at and call it a finality, Jesus just calls it a technicality. Because in situations like this, it's not final. Jesus can heal any marriage. He can, any relationship. He can change any heart. It can go on. So here's what happens next. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took, he took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kohn, which translated little girl, I said, you get up. Immediately, the girl got up, began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. So what is it that seems impossible to change in your life? Is it a relationship, somebody else's heart, your own heart, an addiction? What is it that seems impossible to change in, in your life? If God can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead marriage. He can, he can raise a dead anything. The question is, are you going to listen to all those doubters? Because that's what Jesus said. Don't listen to them. Listen to me. Just believe. So, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can forgive all of your sins. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead can give you a home in heaven when you die. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead can take your worst pain and suffering and turn it towards something good in your life. He, he's able to, to do that. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can overcome and break any bondage in your life. And so that's the reason we come here and we're ready to say, He is risen. Because we know that can happen to us. So, would you simply do this? Would you simply say, Jesus, I want you to come into that part of my life that's been dead to you. Jesus, that part of my life that, that, that's, that's been dead to you, I need you to come in and your resurrection power work right there.
Hey, look, death surrendered to Jesus. Maybe it's time you surrendered to Jesus. Maybe it's time that you don't just know about the resurrection. Maybe it's about time you experience the resurrection. And that may be that you're a Christian and, and, and you have this brokenness, this, this broken marriage, broken relationship, bondage, this, this sin in your life, whatever it may be. And you're ready to say, Jesus, I want you to come into that part of my life and I want you to do a work there. Or maybe you've never even surrendered to Jesus. He, he, you, know, you, you know about him. You come to church every once in a while. You know, it's, it's not do your religious thing. But it has nothing to do with how you live your life at all. It's just an ev- something that happened that, that, that you're aware of. But it has no effect in your life at all. Maybe it's time you got hit by the gospel. And you let the gospel come in and just totally change your life because that's what the gospel does. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.